So I, I am going to show the video. I want, so when I started this video season, series, I said, one, it's kind of, you know, it can, be, it can be risky showing a 20-minute video at a church service when people are thinking, well, we come for preaching and you're just showing us a movie. Um, but it's good, so watch it. Uh, I, I would like to call our attention, though, to two things in this, in this particular one. The first one is savings, because they're going to talk about savings. And the second one, which I've mentioned already, but they get into the explanation in this one, is the zero-sum gain. And I'm going to talk about that more after the video, but this is a hugely important concept that we in the United States are living under currently, and we're also trying to enforce it on the world through a lot of different ways. So, um, and, and so they'll get into the discussion of that in this. And the other thing with, these, with this video series, what I'm doing or trying to do is I'm showing you both the macro and the micro of the kingdom of God advancing. The macro is Things are happening on the planet right now. There's darkness happening all over the place. In my opinion, America at this point has decided that we should, once we were the voice of freedom to the world, and now we've decided we'll be the voice of Babylon. I don't know where that takes us. I don't know where that goes. I disagree with us taking that position. But regardless, there's things happening on the planet all over. But the thing that, that you'll, I'm hoping you'll see as we go through this series, the kingdom of God is live, well, and moving forward. Yeah. And in other places on the planet, the church is rising up and saying, no, we won't do that. No, we won't participate in that. No, that is not how a Christian lives. No, that is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And so you can, you can take your influence and go someplace else because we're not going to partner. So if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and show it. talked about shifting the emphasis from aid to enterprise and from poverty alleviation to wealth creation. In this session, we're going to focus on enterprise solutions to poverty. We're also going to focus on the human person, who's the source of prosperity. When we understand people made in the image and likeness of God with creative capacity, it changes absolutely everything about the way we understand wealth and poverty. Changing our focus from aid to enterprise transforms even the way we think about charity. This is illustrated in the story of Hope International, founded by entrepreneur Jeff Rutt. I had the chance to sit down with Peter Greer, the CEO of Hope International, and hear their story.
Jeff, like many people after the fall of the Soviet Union, saw that this was a turning point in, in history, and they saw that there were incredible needs. And so Jeff and his church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, initially wanted to help. They ended up giving away food, clothes, anything that they could think of to help meet the immediate needs after the fall of the Soviet Union in a town in Zaporozhye, Ukraine. And after they did that for about two years, there was a pastor in the city, his name was Pastor Petrenko, and he pulled Jeff aside on one of these trips and he said, your help is hurting. Uh, and initially, Jeff was really taken by that, thinking, what do you mean? We're, we're here helping you. We're doing our model of help, which is you have needs, we have in abundance, and so we're gonna give things away to you. And Pastor Petrenko realized that there were problems of dependency, there were problems in distribution, there were problems in even identifying the families that really had the needs and those that were just trying to get another handout. And so this comment from Pastor Petrenko, instead of that really causing Jeff to say, well, it's too difficult to help, we tried, let's go somewhere else, he really rolled up his sleeves and said, let's think more creatively about how we help address the problem of poverty. And what they found is that there were individuals in that town that had gifts, that had abilities, that didn't need another handout. They just needed the opportunity to, to start a small business. And so they started providing training. They started providing access to small loans and uh, really found that this model of providing capital and training in the hands of the poor really can make a much longer term impact than just the previous model of just let's hand out another gift, hand out another bag of rice. Hope International now operates in more than a dozen countries. It's one of a growing number of organizations doing what's called microfinance. Microfinance provides financial services to the poorest of the poor. It involves, among other things, extending loans sometimes as small as $20 or $30 so that people can start businesses, generate income for their families, and begin the climb out of poverty. In many cases, over 90% of the borrowers are women. If I'm empowered with financial support, to work and take care of my family. I can pay for health service. I can pay for school. I can do this and do that. All this brings about developments. Microfinance has done a lot of good, but even its greatest proponents agree it has to be done right. Otherwise, if you just lend money, people can actually be worse off than they were before. There are a lot of uh, problems in the uh, microcredit movement itself. The definition of microcredit is being uh, misused by many people. The editing under the sun is called as microcredit. So you need to clarify yourself. What do you mean by microcredit? What distinguishes microfinance, say, from the moneylender or the more modern ver uh, variant of that, uh, the consumer credit um, outfit, is that is exactly this merchant banking aspect. That as a microfinance institution, you have to know the business of your client. Now, if you don't watch what the money is used for, then chances are a large part of it is going to be used for consumption. And if you borrow to consume, you're not richer at the end. You're poorer because you have to repay the loan and high interest on top of it. And so what makes a microfinance institution really worth its name um, is the ability to detect among the thousands and thousands that would gratefully accept a loan those that will, that will become productive with that loan, that, that can turn that loan into value and, and, and better their lives. It's not easy to do, but that good finance institution, that's, that's exactly what it does. Damian von Stauffenberg founded MicroRate, 
a company that rates the effectiveness of microfinance institutions around the world. What he's found is that the best microfinance strategies emphasize a holistic approach. Ibo Graham, a project manager at the Hopeline Institute in Ghana, echoes the same idea. Hopeline is a microfinance NGO. We have about 2,500 members. Every person who registers with Hopeline will have to go through a month of training on business management, bookkeeping. They have to understand insurance because we'll give them micro-insurance. They have to understand what savings is. We're teaching them how to save. If you save, you can be empowered. If all we're doing is extending credit to the poor, if all we're doing is giving individuals another access to a form of a credit card, there's gonna be no lasting change. I think savings are critically important. I think training is critically important. I think micro-insurance is critically important. And I think the fourth leg of this aspect of spiritual poverty has to be addressed. And it's only when you're addressing all of those collectively that you're gonna see significant change occur. We are an, a Christian organization. That's why we are spending time in educating them on how to spend and use money. We are supporting them through microfinance, but we are reaching them through evangelism and all those things for them to understand that this is business is a mission you understand me and they have to go through it in the lord's way and in handling that money and you practice what we've taught you you will succeed There's a lot of enthusiasm for microfinance because it's a tangible way you can help someone begin the climb out of extreme poverty. But long-term sustainable development requires something more. The next step on the ladder are small and medium-sized enterprises, or what are called SMEs. SMEs are companies that employ somewhere between five and 500 people, and they play an extremely important role in the development of economies. We need to move people from the micro to the, the, the SME level. If you move the people from micro to SME level with lower interest rates, the economy will do better and people can live and move out of poverty. Research suggests that for every dollar put into an SME through a loan or through an investment, we create $12 in the local economy. That equation, even if it's half of that, is so good that we should, we should really focus on how do you get these small and medium-sized companies to grow. In prosperous countries, about 95% of all companies are small and medium-sized companies. And they employ somewhere around 65% of the entire workforce in places like Europe or America. If you look at a distribution uh, in prosperous countries, you see that most companies are small and medium-sized. If you look at that same distribution in emerging markets, in poor countries, you see that there's a lot of very small companies and a few very large companies and nobody in the middle. This is called the missing middle. And that is so important because that middle is what creates prosperity. Entrepreneurs throughout the world all face challenges getting their businesses off the ground. But in the developing world, SME entrepreneurs face the especially difficult challenge of getting access to credit sometimes having to pay over 100% annual interest for a small business loan. Nobody can build a business with interest rates like that. When I was in Ghana, I visited with Charles Menz, a young entrepreneur who faces this very problem. 
I started a small company, selling pineapple juice with four or five workers, including myself. And I've come to this stage where I have 15 workers and at peak season up to 20 workers. At this stage, it's more difficult because you can't move to the middle stage that you really, really can make some money. Because now you need to assess sizable amounts of money, which family cannot get or friends cannot get. And you have to pay those interest rates it will kill your business. In Ghana, we have small-scale, small microfinancing companies that tend to learn how to market women, small shops, that microfinancing companies, we have a lot of them in the system. Then there are the big banks who tend to learn how to big companies. So there's a gap. There's a gap between the small and the large-scale uh, big companies. But in between them, we don't have those who want to learn how to the SMEs. They put all the papers around that, oh, blah, 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 SMEs come for long. You go there, they don't give it to you. The process is so long. Plus, you're definitely not going to get it for someone like me who doesn't have a landing property, who doesn't have a, a land or a house. Small and medium-sized enterprises are a critical part in the development process. Because they provide employment to the poor on a long-term basis. They are part of the communities that the poor live in. When communities receive, you know, trucks of uh, United Nations aid, you know, food programs, it only goes so far, for, for so long. But when you have a, a local business that's thriving, that's employing people, that's enabling uh, employees to send their kids to school, uh, to change their uh, habitat, to get uh, health benefits and so on, this is what really transforms communities. We're here in Nairobi visiting Eva Mariah, an entrepreneur and recognized leader in business innovation. In 2001, she co-founded Color Creations, a production and design firm. After building a successful business, she stepped down from the day-to-day -day activities in 2010 to found BSD, a brand strategy and development firm. In building her company, Eva had to compete with free clothing shipped as aid, a challenging business climate, and a great personal calamity. I lost my husband through a fatal motor accident. And this experience really brought home some of the things that he had often shared with me. He was an entrepreneur, and he had always told me that wealth would be created when you create opportunities to acquire and build assets. So when he died, there I was um, having to think, you know, the risk associated with me starting up on my own and I have a six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old two girl to look after, there was significant um, risk that the decision to leave formal employment and start up on my own um, presented. But notwithstanding, I was very convinced that the way to add value to my family 
the way to have positive impact in my community and society was if I started to build a business. Eva and her partners built a screen printing and apparel company that's expanded into Uganda, Tanzania, Sudan, and Rwanda, employing more than 80 people directly and creating additional employment for thousands of others. It is the way it was meant to be for us to leverage our communities out of poverty. People have the dignity of putting food on their table, shelter, health is provided, education is provided for their children. We begin to say no to poverty and begin to redeem the, the dignity of the citizens by virtue of creating business opportunity. Eve is one of the winners of the Pioneers of Prosperity Award, an initiative of the Seven Fund, founded by Michael Fairbanks and Andreas Widmer. The Seven Fund promotes enterprise solutions to poverty and connects investors to promising businesses throughout the developing world. Banks in the developing world are so monopolized and so regulated, they're so beholden to the government um, that they basically are in the business to lending money to the government. And so when an SME comes along and they want to borrow money, they get money. I've heard of, uh, just the other day, I heard of somebody, they said over one year, they ended up paying 80% interest. You can't run a business like that. That's not a business loan, that's usury. That's what the Seven Fund is designed to address. They look for small, promising companies, partner with them, invest in them, and connect them with others. These are companies that are doing good things, doing it well and competitively, but they need a partner with capital. Partners worldwide pursue similar work in promoting investment. They also cultivate mentoring partnerships, both internationally and among entrepreneurs in their own countries. Charles Menz, for example, is mentoring an aspiring juice entrepreneur. Now the goal is to transform not only businesses, but lives and communities, and to scale the effort through networks at a grassroots level. We're gonna form relationships, binational relationships, Small, medium, and large businesses, you know, vary in size, but it's going to, they're going to be Christian business people. And we're going to focus on building businesses that uh, honor God. We call that now businesses ministry. We're going to focus on, on how the businesses are run, but our purpose is to create sustainable jobs. Jobs that give dignity and, and wealth to families to provide in their community. And we'll focus on access to capital, we'll focus on technology transfer, we'll focus on advocating for, for a level playing field. We'll promote trade between our countries. We went to Kenya and met with business people, and Simon Nguero, one of the guys in that meeting, he was kind of the classic target uh, business because he had, he had 30 employees. And uh, we said, man, if we could have 10,000 Simons around the world and we can grow up from 30 employees to 50 or 100, we'll, we'll impact a lot of people. So we said to Simon, are there other people like you in your community? He said, oh, yeah. And he formed, within six months, he formed the first, what we call our affiliates, the Christian Entrepreneur Saving Society, CHESS. 
And so today they have over 400 business members and um, they do provide access to capital, but they, they do training networks, trade shows, and we have a team here in the U.S. that partners with them and they leverage their impact as we have all over the world now. Some of the reasons people tend to be wary of business as a solution to poverty is they think that corporations exploit people, and sometimes they do. They also tend to think that the economy is a zero-sum game. The zero-sum game is one of the great economic fallacies. It assumes that if one person gets rich, it must mean that someone else gets poorer. Well, that's reliant upon a static view of wealth. It's like a pie, the idea that there's just one pie and the pie can't grow. In market economies, in dynamic, open economies, what you find is that the pie grows. And this is very important because what that means is that everyone can start to get out of poverty. The zero-sum game fallacy can also lead to confusion about the role of population in development. The whole concept of enterprise solutions to poverty is rooted in the vision of the human person as creative. We don't just consume stuff, we produce. Now if you miss this and end up in a zero-sum game fallacy, it can lead to destructive policies that end up promoting population control instead of promoting enterprise. One of the big fallacies, economic fallacies, that flows from the zero-sum game is the way that you start to think about people. You stop thinking about them as potential creators. Instead, you start thinking about them as just mere mouths. What that means, of course, is that you start looking at human beings and seeing them as a burden rather than something that can be inherently creative. And that leads to population control policies. Many people have heard of the Millennium Development Goals, which are supposed to be realized by 2015. But what many people don't realize is that one of the goals implicit to that is, of course, the control of population. They're very explicit about this. And the means by which they do so, unfortunately, includes, for example, abortion. Uh, and this manifests itself in all sorts of very strange ways. For example, it manifests in, this, in what many people call the daughter deficit. Because in many developing countries, when people have to choose what type of children they were going to have, be it a boy or a girl, for all sorts of cultural reasons, they will choose boys. Which means that in many developing countries, there's a huge imbalance in the gender ratio between boys and girls. In other words, girls, women are the ones who are most negatively affected when it comes to population control policies associated with the Millennium Development Goals. And what's even more tragic, I think, is that some Christian organizations have actually signed on to these goals. This daughter deficit, or what The Economist magazine has called gendercide, is the result of bad economics. There's no correlation between population and poverty. It's also the result of a surrender of the Christian commitment to the dignity of all human life. Now, Christians have been the greatest force for charity and for wealth creation that the world has ever seen. Yet instead of taking leadership, too often we signed on to popular campaigns that are rooted in a false understanding of the human person. This is a lost opportunity for Christians to promote a vision of development rooted in sound economics and a proper understanding of the person. It's time to think and lead like Christians. Many institutions also look at human life as, as a threat to social progress, let's say through population control schemes, uh, forced sterilizations. Those are impediments to social justice because they don't allow individuals to live freely. They don't allow the most primary institution of society, the family, 
to grow and prosper. We in Africa are resisting some of these conditionalities. And these are conditionalities that are coming from a certain philosophy, a certain cultural philosophy, which we think uh, are contrary to what we believe in. And this is where I believe that they force it down our governments through the IMF, the same culture. They force it down our governments through bilateral arrangements and agreements. They force it down our throats by offering medical facilities that only go contrary to the culture of life. They lead us into the culture of death. You know, uh, they go contrary to the civilization of love. Some people, in the name of preserving human life and causing society to flourish, think that we need to limit others. We need to limit the amount of life in the world, and we need to, to, to take away the mystery. Christians have to be absolutely committed to life, and what that means is that they can't fall prey to the secular arguments about scarcity. We have to understand that we have been given the creative potential to bring not only new life into the world, but new life out of broken things, broken cultures, broken fields, broken families. And we need to be better stewards of how we teach or equip people to think about that. History has demonstrated with indisputable clarity that people can grow the pie of wealth and discover new sources of wealth through enterprise and innovation. Now this insight is foundational for working with the poor because it reminds us that people created in the image of God are not the problem. People are the solution. Bangladesh was a food shortage country. We needed food from everywhere to feed our 75 million people. That's why we had a big famine in 1974, where our story begins. Uh, today, Bangladesh, with 144 million people, is a food surplus country. When I was a graduate student 30 years ago, the received wisdom in every single book you would open suggested that China and India would never, ever be self-sufficient in food, particularly in India. And when I left graduate school, the absolute certain sense from the best thinkers in the world was it was only a matter of time till there would be political upheaval in India, the population would outrun the ability of the land to produce sufficient food, and um, that we'd never see the development of any wealth in India at all. Now, I was just in India. If, if one looks in India today, you see, not just food self-sufficiency. The fact is, in India, India exports food, for heaven's sakes. India has a teeming population, and there's a growing sense that population growth is actually good for economic growth. Human beings uh, are not animals. Animals are the ones who go around and look for food all day and then get tired and sleep and the next day begins in search of food. Human beings are created for a much bigger mission to take care of the whole planet and take it forward. A 
A human being is much more than a mouth that consumes. A human being is a mind that creates and that produces. And if we annihilate human beings in their creativity, either we repress their creativity or we snuff them out of existence, you're basically repressing human productivity. What creates wealth? People create wealth. The source of wealth is inside our head. It's, it's our creativity, something we've been endowed with now, if human creativity is the source of wealth, then people are the source of wealth. And if you have a vast reservoir of poor people living in these slums we referred to, that is a source of untapped wealth that far exceeds the biggest oil reserves you could possibly find um, underneath uh, your soil. Uh, it, that is really your source of wealth. I've watched this series multiple times, and it wrecks me every time in a really good way. I am a human being, and I won't wear your label, and I won't submit to your tag. I will never do that. You can define me any way you want. My father calls me a son. I don't, I don't really need another definition. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to pack all this in, you know, over the next couple weeks, but just a couple things. And I, as I first talked about savings, so they've given us the macro. This is what's happening in the world. And these are all Christians. And they're doing it. We're doing it. You know, um, when John and I formed Foundation Builders, this is what was in our heart. You know, we're finally, after all these years, at a point where it looks like it's now starting to become a reality. But this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. We can't just teach vocational skills if you don't teach business development. If you don't teach basic economics, you might be able to make something, but you're not, you'll, you'll squander the, the, the benefit of what you make because you're missing the other element. So that's why we do, we do what we do. Um, in, uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. And it can't be hidden. It can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good 
works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, work is not a bad thing. And Kleenexes aren't a bad thing when you need one either. Oh, Joe, you've been the one hiding them. Okay, thank you. So just for to, in, in today's focus, this place of one at our, at now at the micro, at your, at your level, your household, your checkbook, how much are you saving every year? Well, one dollar is probably one, you might be the high, one of the higher ones in the room if we all actually said what we were saving. How much are you saving? Is, is savings even important? I think one of the big problems that we've run into in our consumer credit line is that savings isn't important because I have a credit card. So why do I have to work at making sure I put some money in the savings account and not touching it when I want ice cream because it's there for something else? Why even do that? I have a credit card. So if I need $2,000, I just take it out of my wallet and I stick it in a little machine and voila. I have it. I don't own it. The person who put the money up owns it. And they're going to charge me dearly. I mean, those poor people, I mean, what we see this in, in you know, the countries we're dealing in. 80% interest? We, we all, we're all appalled at that. But right now, have you, has anybody checked what your credit card is up to at the moment in the current economy? Most of them are over 30% now. And they invite you to pay the minimum payment. You know, if you pay the minimum payment at 30% interest, your debt is going up and it never stops. So if we're, if, so do we save? Do we see saving as being important? It's radically important. Money that I own is my money. And it empowers me to do what I think I should do or what I want to do. If I don't have any savings and I'm living paycheck to paycheck, which most of us in the country are, then I live on the edge where someone else can, in a moment, take my freedom. And just take it. Because I don't, I don't have any financial cushion that enables me to be free. Now I have to come back to the lender again. You know, and where... where where are all the short-term lenders at? The paycheck lenders, the tax return lenders. They're all in poor neighborhoods. Why are they there? Well, because they know where their business is. When the mob does it, we can put them in jail. When Citibank does it, we buy their stock. And probably in what some mutual fund, I own Citibank stock, so I'm not being overly critical. I, don't, I couldn't tell you everything that I own. But the, the idea is savings is critically, critically important. 
And, it, and the reason why most of us don't do it is because it requires discipline. And a credit card doesn't take any discipline. Personal discipline. The credit card will discipline you, maybe. Although, the other problem is, you know, well, we're going to give you a credit card that's got a $2,000 line of credit, you know, of credit availability. Then you spend half of that credit ability, and they go, oh, good news for you. You're, so, you're such a good client. We've just doubled the amount that you can borrow. Well, thank you very much. Because they know if they send you a letter and say, you were a fool the first time, but now you're a bigger fool, so we're going to give you more. Most people would get mad and probably wouldn't do it, so they, they puff you up. But the end game is still the same. So what it, how much are your savings? You've, we all have to get a handle on that. And, um, and, and in our lifetime of marriage, we've been at the spot where there was no savings. And I've told some of those stories, but it's not that way now. So for today, one of the, I guess what I would like us to think about, I'm not going to put out many or answers today, I don't think, but to think about it, it's like, at a core, how do you view your finances? We all have to deal in finances. How do you view them? Is it a burden? Is it a source of unhappiness? Is it something that I just hide and I don't talk about it at all? Just kind of deal with it in some haphazard way. Whatever bill is sitting on the table today, that I guess that's what I'm going to have to do. But I'm actually hiding from it. How do I view my finances? Or is it a source of opportunity? When I think about my finances, and now don't let your mind jump to amounts. Because just don't. It's, we, we all have resources, and we, have all, we all have the capacity to handle and enlarge those resources. We all have that capacity. So don't get in the, the mindset of, well, if I just had more, then I would do better. No, you won't. And you won't get more because you haven't handled the little. Just look at, just, just, you know, check me out. Go Google. I haven't done this, so I'm not sure what words you would use. But just, just Google, like, what's happened to most of the people that win the big lotteries? Man, I just, you know, they don't do well. Because they didn't know how to handle money anyway. And just because you hit the lottery ticket didn't change what you know about money. Only thing it really does is you find you discover you have relatives you didn't know you had. Might even have kids you didn't know you had, depending on where you're at. Just depend, people will show up at your door and claim some level of access to the to the funds. So, do I see my finances as a source of opportunity? Whatever I have, you know, there was. A, um, I'll I'll have the article for next week, but. Um, 
there was a, a young woman in Texas, single mom. I believe she's had one, two kids. She got her stimulus check, 1200 bucks stimulus check. And she had been reading about the envelope budgeting method. So she took this 1200 bucks, got envelopes, and decided, well, if I'm going to try this, because she had never seen it before, I think I'll just do it on social media. So she, I don't know if she was doing it through a podcast or a Facebook, but whatever. But she started taking anybody that wanted to go with her on her journey of what to do with 1200 bucks and the whole concept, if there's money in the envelope, you can use it. If there's no money in the envelope, use broke. You got to wait to the next time there's more money in the envelope. She started doing that, and she is now, people started buying into what she's doing. So she's now globally got an audience watching her do envelopes, and she's making money by doing that. And she is now making over a million dollars a year that she started with 1200 bucks in envelopes doing a podcast. You have the potential in you that God has put there. Let him breathe on it. But as they said in the video, please do it his way. It's the only way that really works. It's the only way that really works. But the, the, the resource, I love that, that statement that you know, within the human mind is the resource. So if it's within the human mind, it's within human beings. It's within you. We're not all going to be millionaires. That's not, that's not necessarily the goal. The goal, goal is to prosper and increase wealth. And that's going to look different in each of our circumstances. But it, the capacity, the ability is there in all of us. So when I look at my finances, do I see them as a source that brings me empowerment? You feel differently about life if when something comes up, all you have to do is reach in your wallet and take out the cash. That feels different than reaching in your wallet and taking out that. This is an illusion. It's a plastic something. That is money. Well, if they convert it into something else, we still will be dealing with some, something that allows us to buy and sell. But when I use this, it feels different than using plastic. You need to get used to what this feels like. And Harold Eberly taught me this years ago when he was here, and he was talking about finances. And I tried it, and it works. In the days when Harold was here, what came in was going out. If it came in on Friday, most of it had to go out on Monday to get me to Friday. And what Harold said was, when money comes in, 
hold on to it as long as you can, in order, but pay your bills on time, but hold on to it as long as you can. Feel what it feels like to have money. So in those days, I, I kept it in the bank account as long as I could, and every day I looked and it said $400. And for me in that day, 400 bucks was a lot of money. 400 bucks. You know, and then there was a day that the 400 had to go away because somebody owned it all along. But I had, I had had ownership of it for a little bit of time. But I began to feel what it felt like to say, I have 400 bucks. And I knew what it felt like when it went away. And at a certain point, I like it here. It doesn't feel good here. So how do I feel better keeping more here? And it took time. And it took failure. Because things do happen unexpectedly. You know, we can lay out all the plans, but I'm going to, you know, I put this much money in the savings account every week, and we do that, we do that, we do that. And then the car engine blows up. And everything you worked hard over time to save gets taken. But that's the empowerment of savings. When I pay for the repairs out of my savings account, they're paid for. And that's it. Yeah. When I do it with a credit card, the car has already gone to Fitzgerald's. And I'm still paying for the motor. Not a good plan. Not only did I have to pay all this interest, and now I'm still paying on a debt. I don't even own the stupid thing anymore. Nobody owns it. It's been reprocessed. I might have rebought it again on credit as a washing machine. But when I pay for it, yes, when I pay for it, it's settled. Right? That is empowerment. And you're going to have to start small with empowerment. You know, stewardship is something we learn. It's not, a, it's not one of the five-fold ministries. <laughs> yeah, enough said there. <laughs> so here's another question. How do you see God in your finances? Maybe we go, I don't see him at all. I think he's as scared of my finances as I am. He left, the anointing left, Shekinah left the temple, just me in debt. God ain't in it. I don't see God at all in my finances. Maybe, if we're honest, we go, what I see with my finances in God is it's really just a place of unanswered prayer. I've prayed for more, I've prayed for this, I've prayed for that, and prayers haven't been answered. Maybe I draw the conclusion and go, you know what? He may be Jehovah Jireh, but he's one of the stingiest people in town. Just don't, I don't, you know, 
Somebody might have got a wedding dress with a lot of shekels sewed in it. I didn't marry that guy. Or again, when I look at God and my finances, do I see that he's the one that I get to dream with in my finances? You know, do I get, uh, just, just the other day, I'm out walking around, and there's a piece of land that adjoins our property that I really want to buy. And um, the owner kind of is interested in selling, but the price they have on it is way, way beyond what it's worth. So it's, it's just kind of sitting there. But I'm, I'm walking and, and looking at this piece of property. I'm like, Lord, I really, I really want to own that piece of property. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know the time frame it's going to happen. But I envision that piece of property being part of our piece of property. And um, so if I see that God is in the midst of my finances, because it's going to take money to do that, and I'm not going to borrow the money to do it. So I'm working on some plans now where we, we, we've, uh, like with us with our farm, um, we've applied for ag preservation. So if they accept that and we, we work all that out, you know, the state will buy the development rights off our piece of property. And money from that will then be money that I can use to buy this piece of land. Because right? I'm not going to borrow the money. Um, and, but when I look at my finances, is it a place where I dream with him? What does it look like? And I don't think that when we dream with God in our finances, I think God is other than, I don't think he's stingy at all. And I think he is far more, far more interested in our personal desires, if I can call it that, than we think that he is. And I think some of our personal desires, if we start letting him into our dreams and letting him show us how this thing can come about, I think you'll be surprised at what shows up. Because if it's in your heart, I, th I think a lot of that just gives father pleasure. I'm just an earthly father, and I get pleasure in the things that I'm able to give to my kids. Well, how much more is my heavenly father filled with that? You know, and as I said, I don't think all those things are, are you know, what all has to be just utilitarian. You know, it's all right to have it, but it's just, I mean, you know, dream for a washing machine. No, I'm not going to dream for a washing machine. I'll buy a washing machine. I'll dream for something that's worth dreaming about. Now, probably if I had a lot of dirty clothes, maybe I would dream about a washing machine more often. I don't know. It's system, you know. But for me, no, that's not where I'm going to do. I, I want to I dream about what's God doing? Where are we going? I, I dream about foundation builders. I dream about what it's like to have the resources to go into another country and do what we do. I dream about what it would be to have this piece of land that, adjoining our farm that would now be part of our farm. I dream about those things, but I dream about them with him. I talk to him about it. <laughs> we, 
when I think about God and my finances, do I think in terms of I'm actually growing in my ability to steward life and finances? Because the long and the short of it, in my view, if you can't steward your finances, you ain't stewarding your life. All the other problems in life, they're, they're going to be elevated because I don't steward finances. So when I look at my finances, it's a place for me to increase my ability to steward both life and finances. There's things in my life that I didn't know at 25 or 35. Some of those things were actually because of the employment I had. My employer paid for me to actually learn certain things. That's always a cool thing. Now, of course, he paid for it. He, you all paid for it. I worked for the state. Um, but the, the cool thing about the training was, OK, I got trained because I needed to be brought to a higher level in the employment that I had. But once you learn something, nobody can take that away. That's why education is so important. So the principles that I learned working for the state that I had to, to use in the employment I had are principles that I'm still using now as senior leader of this church. And somebody else paid for it. Sent me away. I got to stay in a nice hotel, go to class, you know, college, college level courses. Wasn't bad. When I think about God in and my finances, do I see that God is giving experience and wealth to me, uh, or experience and wisdom to me in wealth creation? Wisdom is, again, wisdom is not imparted. Wisdom is learned. Without experience, you're not going to gain wisdom. I can get knowledge from Google. I can't get wisdom from Google. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And built into gaining wisdom is failure. Get used to failure. It can be ultimately your friend, not an enemy. I, I loved, you know, uh, SpaceX, they just sent off their, the biggest rocket we've ever sent into space yesterday, and it blew up. And I love the, both Musk and I don't know the other guy. It's like one of the uh, main uh, people involved in SpaceX for NASA. But both of them said that was a great learning experience. Because what we learned in the rocket coming apart is we learned its weak points. And now we can go back and design again and fix that. And we'll launch another one. We have them. And probably a few of those will blow up as well. Because ultimately, when we put a human being on that sucker, it's going to fly flawlessly to where we're sending it. Failure, don't make failure a personal attack. Failure is experimenting. And all experiments have to find out where's the weak point. So whether I'm experimenting with my soul or I'm experimenting with something I'm building on a workbench, it's the same thing. Failure is necessary because failure will always demonstrate where the weak point is, either in me personally 
or in the object that I'm designing. But don't make it personal. When I look at God and finances, it also says that now, or, or it helps me, that the, here are ways that I can express, can express my Christian virtues in generosity through finances. There was a time I couldn't be generous. I wanted to be generous. I couldn't be. I didn't have the money to be generous. And also in that time, there were people that were generous to me, and I found that extremely difficult. Matter of fact, I didn't like it. Because somehow I viewed that as saying that I was inferior instead of being able to accept the fact that this person is just being generous. So just accept their generosity. Say thank you. Just say thank you. Yeah. They didn't, they, you didn't extract it out of them. They chose to give it. Which is why in a lot of, in, you know, in a lot of governmental things, the government tells me what I'm going to do. They don't give me the opportunity to be generous. Let me be generous. Let me be me. I'm a human being, let me be one. And finally, when I look at God and finances, it's a place that I can now help others develop healthy financial views and strategies. I get to give away what I've been given. You know, so think about that over this week. How do you view finances? Where is God in, in your finances? I dare say, probably most of us, myself included, spend more time on the wrong side of these answers than we do on the right side. But he's growing us up to live on the right side of these answers. He's, li he's growing us up. So everybody okay with the video series? The book is out. This is a thank you, Jesus moment. It took us four years to write this thinking thing. I haven't, I haven't run it through the calculator, but it's got what? What do we have in here? Huh? 138? Yeah. I don't know what, you know, 138 pages divided into four years comes out to, but Doug and I are really slow writers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I drug it out because in this book, there's been a lot of oysters eaten <laughs> while we talked about this book. But would appreciate you getting it. Would appreciate you leaving a review. I, I um, so far, people that have uh, read it as we were getting ready to publish, we've gotten really good comments. So I'm hoping that it is something that is going to be of value to to the body of Christ. So one last thing we're going to do today as we, as we can conclude the service. We have Ray and Catherine Light with us. Yay. And back at the leadership uh, retreat back in January, we were talking about the, um, um, for years we've had different ministries that affiliated with the house 
And then as we kind of got through the whole, you know, last couple years and all the stuff we've all been through, that all kind of it didn't go away. We just didn't focus on it. Uh, but Ray, had, in one of our conversations, had asked about affiliating with the house as, a, as an affiliate ministry. They have their own ministry. And uh, Jacqueline Sturbach, of course, had asked the same thing with her ministry. And so both of them are now affiliated with us. Um, affiliation just means this. We don't own them. They don't own us. We like each other. We like hanging out together, so we affiliate. Um, we get the benefit of what they bring to the table, and we get the benefit, or they get the benefit of what we bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, is, there is no... Um, there's no legal or contractual. This is purely relational. Um, and in, but in the midst of that, Ray and Catherine had been out, had been at Bethel how many years? Seven. Okay, they've been out working at Bethel for seven years, and they've just come back East Coast. And Ray had asked about being commissioned um, to, the, to pastor. So they live over in Maryland, and that would give him the... Um, uh, the credentials that he needs to do weddings in particular in that state. So what we're going to do, why don't you guys come up? And those from the presbytery, if you guys could come up. Yeah, just, why don't you guys just share a little bit? You, you've, you've spoken here and so forth, so we kind of know you, but take, take a few minutes and just introduce her. It's just got to be turned on from wherever. I'm Catherine Melton. If you don't know me, that's who I am. Married to Ray. We started ministry together. Um, gosh, when did we start our ministry? I have no idea. Oh, 2000, 2009 we started Faith by Grace Ministries. To, uh, we felt like equip generations of disciples to live a lifestyle of freedom and healing. And so we just help people figure out ways that they are believing things that aren't helping them move forward in a healthy life um, in relationships. We do, Ray does one-on-one coaching. I do one-on-one mentoring, um, speaking, books, you know, the typical things. But um, I'm actually from Delaware, so this is very meaningful to me. Um, Grew up in Dover, born and raised in Dover, and... um, Ray, born and raised in Maryland, mm-hmm. and um, we've lived in Maryland pretty much all of our all of our marriage, different except areas, but California. except for California for seven years, <laughs> <laughs> except for that. But it's been a journey, you know. And and the thing is, we've been in small churches, we've been in big churches, we've been in middle-sized churches, but there's mm. churches that are family, and this is one of those for mm. us. So we love you all. <laughs> I'm trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she covered it, guys. <laughs> well, in the, in the commissioning, um, again, for us and in our bylaws, when we talk about commissioning in certain churches, you would talk about um, where this person is being ordained to this office or ordained to that office. Um, and those words carry different meanings. Ordination 
indicates that the, the individual has been, um, you know, is connected to whatever group is that's doing the ordination and meets the, the criteria that's been set forth by that organization. Commissioning is different in that commissioning is looking at the person and the gift more than the connection to an institution. And so with us, as we commission these, uh, well, I made this out to you personally, so I don't know if you, I was pretty sure that was the way it should go. So as, as we commission Ray this morning, the, the idea is we're just agreeing with what God's already doing and saying we'll walk alongside you as God continues to do with you what he's doing as opposed to ordination doesn't have to and very rarely carries much of a relational connection with the organization that's doing the ordaining. Right, so that's the difference. When we talk about commissioning, we're saying we're not creating this in them. We're recognizing what's already been put there by God. Yeah. And we agree, and so as you walk, we walk with you as you go, as you're sent. Um, so anyway, the, this is the, the commission, of ordinate, commission of ordination. And he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Mark 16, 15 through 18. So this, this is to certify that after a satisfactory examination of Christian experience and character, the call of ministry with the gift of pastor and personal qualifications Raymond Harry Light was commissioned by the Presbytery of the House of Praise for All People International Ministries under the church bylaws on April the 23rd, 2023 at this location. That's the paper. Now we're going to do the commissioning. Hey, the only thing I, I did want to say. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, what hit me during worship really is that I've always been home at the house, you know, and I've been commissioned and ordained by multiple different organizations and ministries and churches, and none of them have felt right like this. So, thank you, guys. Our pleasure. Mm. So if you guys want to extend your hands up here and why don't you guys gather around, let's pray over these guys. And of course, any prophetic words? <laughs> mm, bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
Lord, we bless this temple of the Holy Spirit. We bless what you have started. We bless the words that you spoke over Ray at his creation. We thank you for your faithfulness to put within him your plans and your purposes and then to find him and set him in a family and bring those things to pass. So I thank you, God. I thank you for Ray's heart. I thank you for the things that he uh, puts into people, the way he helps people, the way he pastors people. Uh, Lord, we agree with the gift that you've... uh, It's not that we agree you didn't ask us to agree. We acknowledge the gift that you've put within him. And we we speak anointing on it. We speak more, more, more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody? I heard the Lord say, Ray, I have equipped you. You have all you need. Just follow me. I had a, um, just saw you in your hiking boots <laughs> with a backpack full of equipment, and you're, you're carrying it. And, and I know sometimes those packs can be heavy, but he says it's not heavy. Yes. Just follow yes. me. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to um, say, Kath, it's Catherine, right? Um, I watched you and Ray began to speak just now and open up to us. Um, you went right to his side and you rubbed his back and you went and grabbed him a tissue. And I just saw like such a faithful servant, um, such a faithful support for him. And I just want to speak that out over you that you carry that incredible honor, um, but it's also a gift that you have. And I think it's probably a, something that you would do for most people, show them support and encouragement. So God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you're gonna multiply that gift mm-hmm. and that that's yeah. gonna be seen even more and more mm-hmm. yes. throughout this ministry that they carry. Yes. Yes, thank you, Lord. God, I thank you that Ray has that. I pray that he would just see the value in that, Father, more and more. Yes, Lord. There's some extra Kleenexes. And on top of that, we just acknowledge your partnership and your union together as one. Yeah. And we acknowledge that even in this commissioning. And we celebrate that with our whole hearts because of the power on both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just kept hearing partnership highlighted and so loud and yet so gentle. Thank you, Lord. And so, Lord, I just praise you for the partnership of the lights here. As soon as I touched you, it felt I was trying to uh, uh, pray 
to you to to connect with your spirit, and I immediately came right back. That two way, the two way relationship between the house and you. Mm-hmm. That wherever you do go, we are with you, and wherever we go, we are with you. It's it's yeah. the it's the two way street, and we just thank you for the strength that you've had. Where um, just just knowing the the walk and journey that you guys have had that. Um, strength that it took to get to here and yes our strength is in the lord but it's also the choice that we chose to to follow him yeah yeah that is huge and we do not we do not ignore that that is part of who you are and who he has made you to be and that is going to be a foundation that just launches you launches you both to whatever you're going to thank you whatever is out there that the doors have already as you walk by they're just flinging open and we, the ones that are not meant to be, we just we just take them right out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yes, Thank that you. the walk is easy and light for you because you're following in His footsteps and what He has for you. You're not trying to fit in the doorways that don't belong to you. Thank you. We thank you for being that faithful, just being faithful to Him and trusting in Him. And I'm sure that looks like uh, beating your head against the wall 15 times before you do that, but but that you immediately. Ultimately, submit mm. to him in that yes. in that beautiful, um, loving, tender way. Mm. And we just call that out. Uh, we thank you for the the spirit of of uh, directness and the spirit of um, of truth and that voice that just shoots out. Mm. And and we and we just package that in loving and kindness. Yeah, and thank we just God. send that. Ray and Catherine, you walk on holy ground and the Lord goes before you. There will be challenges ahead. And the reason you're here is because this is your oasis. Thank you. That as you get overwhelmed, come back. Come back and get renewed at the house. The house requires nothing of you. You don't have to bring anything to come and to get refreshed. Yeah, thank you. Because we're family. Yeah, yeah. And because of love, we just do it. So just remember, 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 you do have a place. Yeah. You do have a place. The Lord wants to complete your hiking outfit, <laughs> and uh, he's now giving you walking sticks, and this goes along with what Bob just said. <clears throat> the sticks aren't only to propel you, but also for support, and those sticks are made up of, of everyone here in the house, and there's going to be times when you will lean more heavily on those, so don't hesitate <laughs> to call us, to come back. <laughs> Do whatever. But we're here to support you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. So uh, when I had laid my hand on you, uh, the, the Father gave me a vision of this uh, this vault, and he showed me a key that unlocked it. And when I stepped, uh, like I got to step inside and look around, and it showed uh, all this wealth, and his wealth was the knowledge, wisdom, and experience. And it's, uh, he said, turn around. And I've seen it 
being flown out and on either side there was people standing on one side and another people standing on the other side but this wealth was distributed evenly amongst those people and in the center of this uh as i as i looked in the center of the room was this table and i felt like the father was saying that you know you're all like as you have a table here you're preparing a table for those that you uh, yeah. distribute that wealth out to to come and have a safe haven yeah. and there's going to be uh, much to eat and many good times that you're going to be able to um, to enjoy amongst those people and there's going to be a lot more new people that you're going to meet along the way hmm. just yeah. be open and receptive to it because you have a lot to offer to them Um, Ray, I felt like when we were, um, as we're praying, the Lord was showing me how uh, I just happened to reach and touch your elbow, and um, I was thinking, oh, I probably should have my hand on his shoulder, but I, but it's this is significant because I felt like the Lord is increasing your authority, which your right arm is your is a symbol of of authority, and I feel like the Lord is. Um, is giving you a new level of authority and you're going to move into it easily. Um, the Lord is with you in it and there's, um, uh, there's just a strengthening, um, and a raising up that's happening. And Catherine, as we were, as we were worshiping today, I, and I was standing behind you, I saw like a keyhole on your back. And I saw the Lord putting in a key and unlocking you. <laughs> and when that happened, it's like it's like it this light burst out from the front of you, and I saw all these like keyholes that were almost like light was projecting out and projecting into other keys yeah. or keyholes. And I feel like there's a real unlocking that the Lord is doing in your. Um, in your gifting, in your awareness and your knowledge of him in, um, that's going to unlock a lot of other things for other people, but it's, it's, um, it's something that he's doing. And I feel like you coming back here, like coming back to Delaware, where you're from is, uh, is a part of that. And also the time that the time and the season that we are in, in the timeline, it's time for you to truly be unlocked. Yeah. 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 Yep. I heard, I heard, um, broader horizons and, uh, greater frontiers. And, uh, I felt the, um, just the exhortation of the Holy Spirit to ask the Holy Spirit to show you any boxes that you're in, because this isn't a time; for, uh, 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 it's a, a moment on the timeline where you're you're resetting some things. Yeah, and so you need to accomplish every. If you're going to accomplish everything the Lord has for you in the rest of your life, you need to make a clean break from some things in the past so ask the lord to show you any boxes that you need to let go of or step out of mm. um the other thing is that we believe in personal sovereignty here is a key part of fully functioning as a son and this is when i say spiritual son i'm talking about both of you and so 
I just encourage you to, in this time frame right now where you're stepping into something new, you're being freshly commissioned and sent, to examine all of your alignments and in any of them where you've, you've yielded your sovereignty in any way with a concept of a covering or anything like that, with your words before the Lord, you can remove yourself from the wrong type of alignment. I'm not saying you're not still relationally connected, but you remove yourself and you step into the new season with your personal sovereignty completely restored in every aspect of sonship so that you can begin to step into kingship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's going to be important for all of us where we're going in this time and from this time forward in the kingdom. So I just encourage you to do that. You can do it with your words. And, you just, and, and I'm not saying to do it right now because you can consider this before the Lord. <laughs> but if you're... <laughs> yeah, I think some stuff's getting peeled off of you now. Do you want me to do, walk, just do it right now? I can just, you can agree with it. You, you, well, no. It's yeah. bo- I'm looking you right in the eye, both of you. We're all we're all yeah. sending both of you because yeah. you're in covenant together. So yeah. he doesn't have anything without you, and you vice versa. And that's that's meant yeah. to be a complete blessing. So Lord, we we I'll just say it for me, Lord. Any any previous and, and if you guys want to agree, you can. It's your your call. But Lord, we just say any previous alignments where we have yielded our sovereignty spiritual sovereignty that, that that's that's at the core of our sonship of being your son Yahweh any 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 time that we've yielded that Lord we repent for that yeah. I know there was grace for that in other seasons that's how the kingdom worked that's how in the church age but we're past that now yeah. and we we Lord do we just come before you and we say, Lord, we just ask you to remove that. We choose with our words. We remove it. We remove yes. ourselves. We yes. extract ourselves from the wrong yes. alignments yes. where yes. there's any kind of control or anything, anything horizontal, or I'm sorry, anything vertical yeah. that where we put something or someone in between you and us, Yahweh. Mm. We just yes. we just remove yeah. ourselves from that. We yes. bless the past relationships, and we step forward into the full sovereignty of being your son. We do believe in accountability, but it's mutual. In the Bible, I don't know anywhere where it says obey your leader. It always says leaders. It always implies a mutual thing. So we invite you to do accountability as the Lord leads you between your 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 peers, your colleagues, your your friends. Okay, we 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 encourage that, <laughs> but but it's. Uh, it's according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it's done in freedom. So we thank you for the restored sovereignty for all of us, for, for this brother and sister. And yeah. we thank you, Lord, where if there's any place where we've yielded our crowns to another person or another thing, hmm. we repent for that. And we just, we just speak the restoration of crowns being put back on our heads mm-hmm. that we yes. will do a better job of stewarding in this season. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Ray, I was sitting in the back and I, I look at you. I know you're, you're walking in a, a gifting of, of spiritual father and someone that really just takes to heart to, to help people and set them free and, let the Lord work through you. And you used the word up here. You said you've been a lot of places, but you never, it never felt like here, like this was home. Is that the word you used? Mm-hmm. So as the house, 
I wanted to say it out loud. We receive you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. We love you. <laughs> yes. We welcome you. Yes. We celebrate you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Catherine, we receive you. We love you. Yes. We celebrate you. Mm-hmm. And we welcome you home here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Always. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I went to Jonathan. I said, wow, I feel like we should be having pancakes or something. I didn't know we were doing all of this. But I feel like the Lord has a different kind of manna for you, son. I know you shared that you lost some precious Bibles. And you were like, I can't get them back. But you know what you can do? You can make one. You can make for somebody that never even had the grandfather. You can have a new hobby of marking up Bibles. <laughs> Good Bibles, not these paper dollar tree fall apart Bibles, but legacy, that is, that's yours. That's yours to give. And honey, I saw you just opening, I'm going to say it, okay, Bible schools, markers and colors and just making it up, but it's not made up. It's like it's already in you. And there's seniors and people that want to make your pudding and do all the other stuff, but they need somebody to be like, oh, hey, look, this is Bible school week. So, Lord, I just thank you for having whatever that looks like, you know, her special way. She's been watching and waiting, and, and when's my turn, God? Oh, God, when's my turn? Well, it's your turn. And she's got those keys in her. And she's going to replicate it in her own special way. On site, on demand. Thank you. It's not going to have to be, oh, oh, let's be um, influencers and all this. Whatever. No. Come on. Be real people. Okay? The world wants real people. Real people need real people in their lives to look at with wrinkles and sweat and stains on your clothes. Okay? Thank you, God. Shut up, I'll say. Let it be so. Let them yeah. touch the hearts that you have laid out before them yeah. with abundance and draw in their team. Yeah. Let yeah. their yeah. eyes be open and their ears to hear their team is all will be all around you. You won't even have to walk very far. They're right there. Thank you, Lord. And while you're at it, do some storm stuff, you know. Call, you know, some miracles, man. Do them too. Amen. (laughs) So Raymond, Harry, Light. We, the Presbytery for the House of Praise for All People, commission you this day to fulfill all that God has placed within your heart your dreams, your visions, the things that wake you up in the middle of the night, we call them forth for the glory of the Christ and the fulfillment of his kingdom on this earth. We commission you. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Well, that's always a fun moment. <laughs>